You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Carrie Elwes is a celebrated English actor who starred as Wesley in The Princess Bride, as well as Robin Hood, Men in Tights, Glory, Days of Thunder, Twister, and Saw. His new book, written with Joe Layden, is As You Wish, Inconceivable Tales from the Making of The Princess Bride. Thank you for joining me, Carrie. Well, thank you, Rick. Carrie, what I love about this book is that it's a book about the making of a movie mm. based on a book, and the movie is about a boy being read a book, and the main movie we see is the movie that plays in his head as he's being read the book. Yeah, it's a wonderful device, and that's the genius of Bill Goldman. He's a, it's his favorite story, by the way. It's, the favor, it's his favorite novel that he wrote, and it's his favorite screenplay that he wrote, and I believe it's his favorite film, which is hard to conceive, consider, considering that this is the guy who won two Academy Awards for All the President's Men and, and uh, Butch Cassidy. What you prove in this book is that you yourself are an accomplished storyteller. Oh, you're very kind. I, 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 so I can't take all the credit. That's Joe Layden who helped me with, with it. I mean, I've never written a book before, so he, he, he really guided me, him and my editor, Simon and Schuster. Well, this is such a great story you have to tell because it's of a youth mm. pulled into this fantastic world of Hollywood movie making. Talk about your first experience meeting Rob Reiner. Yeah. Well, I was a huge fan of his work growing up. I'd seen All in the Family as a kid. Uh, I came to America when I was just a little boy, really, uh, on vacation with my stepfather. And I devoured American television, especially sitcoms. So, in fact, Norman Lear's work, All in the Family, The Jeffersons, I, I just loved all of them. And so I'd also seen uh, This is Spinal Tap. So I didn't know what I was more excited about, the idea of meeting Marty DeBerge or, or Meathead. <laughs> and he's such an incredible guy, Rob. He really is. He's, he's just the most delightful guy and a wonderful director. And uh, actors love being directed by actors, by the way. That's, that's no secret. And um, he created an atmosphere of just so much fun. That's why I wanted to write this book, to share it with all the fans, you know? Now, one of the things that y you talked about was that you had seen all of uh, Rob Reiner's work in his mm -hmm. youth, but you had also read The Princess Bride as well, hadn't you? Yes. I read it when I was 13. My stepfather gave me the book. And funnily enough, Rob, Rob Reiner's father, Carl, gave him the book when he was a kid to read. So we had that in common. We had that bond over the material. And I love the book. It's so funny. People think, you know, that it's a kid's book, perhaps, or that it's much like, maybe it's a lot like the film, which it, it, it does have a lot of things from the film in it, but it's also worthy uh, a reading just on its own merit because it's such a brilliant, brilliant book. Goldman wanted to make it into a screenplay, and it, the story of the screenplay <laughs> is fairly novelistic in itself. <laughs> right? I mean, I think it's unbelievable. He, the guy had to get used to disappointment. He had a studio fold on him at one point. He had a uh, studio head get fired uh, at one point. I mean, he had amazing directors attached to this thing. He had Robert Redford. He had Francois Truffaut. He had, um, let's see, he had Carl, I think, at one point. Uh, he had Dick Lester, who was responsible for the great Beatles films, Hard, Day Night, Hard Day's Night and Help. 
and none of them could get the movie off the ground. Norman Jewison had it at one point. I think he had Arnold Schwarzenegger attached as Fezzik, and none of them could get the movie made. So I think it's actually incredibly fortunate for me that they didn't get made or I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you right now. And uh, it took almost 11 years before Rob got his hands on the material. You know, one of the things I love about this book are all the great stories you tell about the cast and the way you create all these the people around you as these wonderful characters. And boy, I really love the way you uh, portrayed Andre the Giant. Oh, I know. He was magical. I miss him to this day. He was one of a kind. He was truly a gentle giant. He would give you the shirt off his back. It would be big enough for five people, but he'd still give it to you. And uh, he was never without a smile on his face, Rick. He, I think he, he understood the secret of, of life and how to be gracious and sweet and generous. His spirit is its with me. He's a, he was an incredible human being. When you were uh, putting together this book, yeah. uh, did you watch the movie a, a lot of times? Because one of the things I found was that after reading this book, mm. watching the movie is a totally different experience oh. and so wonderful. Oh, thank you. No, I don't need to watch it. I, I've seen it. I was in it. So I never really watch the films that I'm in. More really? than once. Unless, yeah, not unless I have to. Because I only see my mistakes. <laughs> you know? I, I'm, I'm my own worst critic, Rick. So I don't need to really see it again. But I, <clears throat> what was great is that, is that I, I was fortunate in that Norman Lear helped me uh, remember everything. Because I, was, I didn't keep a diary or a journal when we were shooting. And it was over 27 years ago. So I was fearful that I wouldn't remember everything. And Norman was wonderful, our producer. He took me to lunch and he said... I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you all the call sheets uh, from the shoot. And the call sheets are work orders. I'm, I'm sure you probably know, but your listeners might not. Um, they're work orders that the crew and the cast get that tell you what time you have, you have to be on the set the next day and what scenes you're shooting and how many pages and so on. And he said, I'll give those to you. And then when you read them, you'll remember where you were, and it'll help jog your memory. And, of course, it did. It was wonderful. He sent me this beautiful bound file of, of, of all the call sheets. And the moment I opened it up, I was right back there. Boy, that's incredible. Well, that must be why some of the scenes are so vivid. I love your story of learning to sword fight from two of the masters with Mandy Patinkin. That's such a great and ongoing theme in the book, and the results speak for themselves. Right? Oh, well, thank you. That's very generous of you. I, we worked very hard on it, but we had amazing trainers. I mean, these guys were unbelievable. Sadly, they're no longer with us, but um, they're also in, in my heart. Uh, Bob Anderson, who was an Olympic fencer for Great Britain in the 1950s, and Peter Diamond, who was a great sword master and stuntman. And um, they were both responsible for the lightsaber sequences in Star Wars. And so um, Rob wanted the best of the best for us because he said from the day one, he said, I don't want doubles or stand-ins doing, I don't want your other people sword fighting, I want you and Mandy. And so the, the challenge was on. We had to, you know, we never barely sat down while we were shooting, Mandy and I. He had a lot more to do than I did, by the way, because he, he had to practice a whole fight with Count Rugen, um, with Chris Guest. So, but we never sat down. The, these guys were waiting in the wings. The minute Rob yelled cut and was moving on to another scene, even if it was a, you know, 15-minute turnaround or whatever, they would grab us and go and work on the, on the sequence. So, yeah. You know, I, I really like, too, uh, the way that you uh, created uh, uh, Buttercup, she is 
the way you craft the, her as a character is so wonderfully done. That this this young woman plucked from us a, a U.S. Sick, uh, sick soap opera. Soap opera, yeah, yeah, yeah. She was in, well, look, she's Robin Wright. I mean, mm-hmm. I think the world knows how, how brilliant Robin Wright is. Um, we were lucky to get her. It was Goldman who really discovered her. I think Goldman met her in New York and. I think she read a scene for him, and the minute she left the room, she was the last person to be cast, by the way. And so, you know, we didn't have our buttercup, you know, almost a week or two weeks before we were due to start shooting. And um, Goldman called Reiner in London and said, get her, grab her, you know. We're never going to find anyone as good as this. She's, she is buttercup. Um, and that's coming from the author. So we were lucky to get her. But she's so modest about her own talent. She said, I think they were fed up and just <laughs> picked me, you know, because they were, you know, reaching is what she said or something like that. But um, but she's fantastic in the role and, and, and wonderful, just a wonderful person and a wonderful actress. So, yeah. One of the things that we don't see in movies is uh, in behind the scenes are all the dangers and injuries. And you talk about the dangers of the fire swamp, mm. and there are the dangers that you subjected yourself to as well. Yes, I was certainly nervous that the first week shoot involved the fire swamp um, because the fire swamp is obviously where Wesley has to confront a lot of special effects, <laughs> let me put it that way. <laughs> um, and uh, dangers in the fire swamp. So, I, you know, we had the, the, the flame that, the, you know, causes Buttercup's dress to catch fire, ergo why it's called the fire swamp. We had the uh, the uh, uh, quicksand. We had the rodents of unusual size. So um, I think Rob wanted to get all the difficult stuff out of the way first. Um, and I was a little nervous. I think, you know, it was a little nerve-wracking being told that the first scene up was to put Rob put a fire out on Robin Wright. That was definitely a little nerve-wracking <laughs> for me. <laughs> But she was so game, by the way. And Rob said to her, he goes, listen, if you guys don't want to do this, it's okay. We can use doubles. And Robin went, no, I'm fine with it. So, of course, I went, yeah, sure, no problem, you know. What was I going to say, you know. But well, uh, she was game. She was totally game. I think, too, that you you stepped up as well in that scene where you dove into the, the quicksand. When I look at that now, I say, this guy's diving through what? A... a a hole that looks barely bigger than your shoulders. It seemed like that's just like asking to break your neck. Uh, Yes, that definitely made the stunt people in the special effects department a little nervous um, because the the rig that they built was not actually built for the purpose of someone diving and it was built for someone jumping in because Buttercup literally steps on a a little spot in this uh, iris that they built out of foam and plywood. And there were stunt people below and they, and special effects people below, and they released the iris and she went down the trap door, yeah? And uh, when I saw it, I said, you know, my stunt man was doing it and he was jumping in feet first, holding his nose to make sure no sand went in. Um, and I said, gosh, I think we can do that a little bit more, with a little bit more swash and buckle. And let's try diving in. And uh, there was some... There were some uh, nervous people on the set who were unsure about that. <laughs> and by the way, quite rightly so, because as I say, it was not built for that purpose. But we worked around it and we got it, and uh, and Rob was very happy with it. Now, uh, 
the other thing that happened to you was you were uh, hanging out with Andre the Giant mm. who just wanted to let you use his ATV. Yes. This proved to be uh, a less than wise decision yes, for you. Yes, a, a very uh, unwise decision on my part. Well, Andre couldn't get around very easily on the set um, just based on his size, and he couldn't fit in any normal vehicle or the, or the crew van that brought everybody to the set while we were shooting out in the Derbyshire Moors. We were shooting in an area called the Peak District, and it's very well named because it's very hilly, and, and Rob wanted to shoot a lot of the scenes on top of these hills, right, so he could get a full appreciation of this beautiful vista, yeah? So the production manager asked Andre, you know, how do you get around back home on your farm? Um, and Andre said, well, I use, a, I use an ATV boss. So he called everybody boss, which was so sweet, you know, for a guy who was seven foot five. And um, so they found the only all-terrain vehicle, I think, that was in England in 1986, and they, it showed up on the set, and he loved it. I mean, he'd, he'd never seen a giant move so fast. And he was zipping around on this thing. And he would ride up to me, and he'd go, you like my toy, boss? And I go, it's great, Andre. It looks a lot of fun. He goes, it is. And then he would zoom off. <laughs> he did this again. This went on for two or three days, him zooming off, going, you want to try my toy, boss? I go, no, I don't think so. Andre. Vroom. And he'd zoom off. And like the fourth day, he rode up to me and went, it's a fun toy, boss. You want to try it? I said, I don't. I'm really, Andre, I'm, I'm not very professional. He goes, you know you want to. I went, okay, fine. You know, I finally succumbed to it. And I had no business getting on this thing. It was a moment where my hubris exceeded my aptitude. I got on this thing, and his bodyguard, which was hilarious that he even had a bodyguard, came up to me and said, um, oh, it's very easy, governor. You know, it's just like a motorbike, clutch here, brake there, Bob's your uncle, and uh, which was a terrifying lesson in and of itself. And I got on this thing, and I put it in first gear, and I lurched forward. And I didn't get more than two feet, and I went over a rock and caught my left big toe between the clutch pedal and a rock, and I heard it snap. I felt it break right away, and I just thought, oh, no, 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 not a broken toe. Um, and this, you know, I hadn't shot. This was in the first week or so of shooting, and we hadn't, you know, <laughs> I think, how can Wesley do a sword fighting sequence with a broken toe. I, I was terrified. I was terrified I was going to be let go and everything. But Rob was such a mensch about it. He was so sweet. He was like, don't worry about it. We'll work around it if we have to. And uh, and so we let it heal. And uh, it was still a bit tender. <laughs> I won't lie to you. It was still a bit tender during the sword fight. But uh, it, it was definitely enough time to heal. Um, pretty good. Now, you've been doing some spot-on imitations of Andre yeah. and Rob oh. Reiner. Oh, thank uh, you. I'm hoping you will grace us with your Fat Albert oh, imitation that you did to please. get the part. It's not that good. It's <laughs> not that good. It really isn't. Um, I don't know how that came up. It was so funny. I, I was probably reaching. Uh, when I met with, uh, with Rob and Andy in my hotel room in Berlin where I was shooting, um, I was sharing with Rob how much I loved his work and All in the Family and how much I loved American television and all the shows that I grew up with there. And I was, I guess I was trying to let them know that I was, I was clued in about American culture. And for some reason, Bill Cosby came up. And um, I found myself doing 
of all things, a fat Albert impersonator. And it's just silly, really. All I said was, hey, hey, hey. And that was it. And for some reason, Rob, I forgot all about it, (laughs) but Rob didn't. Um, And he said, you know, that was funny, that impression you did. I guess he likes people who do impression. I mean, you look around him at the people that are closest to him, you know, Chris Guest and Billy Crystal, and they're great mimics. So um, much better than I am, by the way. And uh, you should hear, if you like my Andre, you should hear Chris Guest's Andre is, it's like bringing him back to life. It's extraordinary. Well, I have to say that the way you've written this book, you do a good job of bringing him back to life. It's mm-hmm. really sweet. And I think one of the things about this book is it captures some of the magic of the movie. And That's what being, I tried to do. Yeah. And, and being sweet and, and smart and funny and, oh, thank and you. adult and interesting all at the same thank time. You, that's Rick. a tough that's a tough gig. That's very kind of you. Thank you. Well, I, I think that so that was a, that was what you were shooting for then. That's right? what I was hoping to get because look, I wanted it to be a, a fun journey. I wanted it to be a family book, just like the film, being a family film. I wanted to take the fans on the journey that I went on and let them know just how much fun it was. Because I get, we all get asked all the time, Rick, you know, was it as much fun making this film as it looked? And I always say it was more fun. So I decided to write this book and let them know just how much fun it was. Well, I think, too, that you also capture uh, the way that you became a community. In spite of some of the, there's some competition between you and Mandy Patinkin in terms of this sword fighting in the part, too, wasn't there? Well, I think it's healthy when when you're doing any kind of, uh, scene involving, certainly involving uh, fencing, that there'd be a healthy competition because this, we, you know, it is described in the book as the greatest sword fight in modern times. So there was, there was a bit of pressure on us. Um, <laughs> just a bit. So. Just a bit. <laughs> you know, and we watched every movie. We watched every single, you know, pirate movie we could lay our hands on that had any time anyone grabbed a sword we, uh, in a film, we watched it. Um, and the best one we found, by the way, and the longest one we found, was Scaramouche with Stuart Granger and Mel Ferrer. And it's just magnificent. If you haven't seen it, you can Google, uh, YouTube it anyway. It's out there. It's just magnificent. And they did, they did it all themselves, too. So my appreciation for their efforts was even more profound after realizing <laughs> what went into <laughs> just our small three-minute fight. There's like six minutes or something like that. Well, your three-minute fight, uh, you guys got too good at what you were doing, didn't you? Well, yes. Yeah, so, well, I don't know about too good, but we, we, what happened was when I think um, Bob and Peter showed the fight to Rob initially, they showed it to him at half, what, what's known in the film business as half speed. When Rob saw it, when Rob saw it and, 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 and they timed it, it came out you know, somewhere between t- you know, two and a half, almost three minutes. And by the time Mandy and I showed it to Rob, you know, almost a week before we were due to shoot it, we did it at full speed and we were pretty fast by that point. Perhaps a little too eager, maybe a little too fast. <laughs> and it timed out at, at about a minute 10 and uh, when we were done, we were sort of panting, covered in sweat, and we walked up to Rob, and we were like, you know, what do you think? And uh, he was scratching his beard. I'll never forget, he was scratching his beard, and he goes, that's it? And we went, what? <laughs> he said, you guys, I built this huge set for you guys. I mean, look at it. It's beautiful. And, you know, you can't be in here for just a minute. 
So he sent us back to the drawing board, and we added another two minutes. We added the whole sequence going up that um, that uh, tower and uh, the acrobatics. We brought in the stuntman for that. That was the only sequence where we're obviously not doing the fight, where the acrobat, this wonderful gymnast, came in and did, did all of that. But we extended it. He wanted it a good three minutes, and that's what we have. You know, one of the things that was unusual about this movie, and I think that makes it so great, was that you guys put in to get a great screenplay. That's, I think, uh, what I see so often lacking you. They invest in stars, they invest in special effects, they invest in all this other stuff, but then they don't spend that much on the screenplay. And you guys had a great writer, William Goldman, to do it, the best, you know, arguably one of the best ever screenwriters. And what was interesting that you tell was he spent a lot of time at the production. Um, longer than he normally spends, I think, at any production. He's not comfortable being on a set. He said that, you know, the writer's work is done when they hand in the, the you know, the shooting draft. And he doesn't like being around the shoots. Um, but we wanted him there because, first of all, we l he's a wonderful guy, a very sweet guy, and very funny, obviously. And also, he's a legend. I mean, you know, we wanted him around. It was his favorite project. So we felt we wanted him there. It's sort of a good luck talisman, as it were. And, um, but he wasn't really comfortable. <laughs> I talk about that in the book. He, he wasn't really comfortable being there. And so he, he stayed until about, I don't know, maybe two weeks into the shoot, I think, when we shot the sequence at Haddon Hall where Humperdinck and, you know, presents Buttercup to, to, the, to the people of Florin, that he left after that. Well, one of the things, too, that I think that you do a great job of is capturing just what's so special about this movie, which is its ability to, I think that this works in the same way that the uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark does, in that oh. it recreates the swashbuckling and fun and excitement of the adventure with taking the story seriously, but in a manner that lets the the viewers laugh. And I think you did a great job at nailing that. Thank and you. also um, doing this in the book, too, at Thank letting you. us see how hard it is to make a movie, but really sharing the joy as well. Well, that's that was the key. And that, by the way, that's the talent of not only just Goldman, but also Reiner, because here he was taking all these genres and genres he had enormous respect for, but, but also having a wink at them a little bit, too, you know, just having a bit of fun with them. And that takes a very deft touch, I think. And I talk about it in the book I, I mentioned. I think there was no other director who was more perfect to make this film than Rob. You know, he adored the book as a kid. He wanted to make it. He went and I think he saw a studio head at Columbia who was releasing Stand By Me at the time, which he was still cutting. And he, he was <coughs> coming off these huge hits, um, this is Spinal Tap, The Sure Thing, and now Stand By Me. And the studio head said to him, you know, what do you want to do next? Anything at all, just name it, we'll, we'll sign it. And Rob went, well, I want to make The Princess Bride. And the studio head said, anything but that. <laughs> um, and so, you know, he, he, Rob's not one to give up easy, and thank goodness he didn't, because he persevered and, and figured out a way to get the movie made. And it was not an easy... Uh, journey for him to get there. Well, I think too that you also um, captured you and the rest of the cast uh, all captured just the perfect vibe for that movie. And I want to thank, thank you for you. doing that. Thank and for you, Rick. Also, writing a book 
that lets us watch the movie and read the book and then see the movie in a completely different line. I think it's really important to re-experience art from different perceptions. Oh, thank you, Rick. I, that means a lot to me. I really appreciate that. I've been speaking with Carrie Elwes. His new book is As You Wish, Inconceivable Tales from the Making of the Princess Bride. Thank you for speaking with me, Carrie. Thank you, Rick. Appreciate it. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.